episode 45, Saddle Up. I'm Merle Riedel, and you're listening to a January 2nd, 2008 podcast from the Kansas Historical Society. In this podcast, museum staff reveal the story behind the story about artifacts featured on the Cool Things section of our website, kshs.org. In the 1870s, the road between San Antonio and Abilene could be a little rough. That's why Gus Belport needed a good saddle. Join Nikayla Zimmerman and me as we talk about the wildlife of this early Kansas cowboy. Gus drove cattle, led wagon trains, and panned for gold. And he did it all from the seat of this saddle. Later, listen for another round of Six Degrees of William Ella White, Election 2008. This week, we connect the Sage of Emporia to America's mayor, Rudy Giuliani. And after that, we get personal with a listener challenge. Someone wants to know if we can connect ourselves to William Ella White. Oh, we can. Oh, we do. Sort of. But first, saddle up. Good afternoon, Nikayla. Hello, Ralph. Today we're going to talk about a leather saddle um, that you wrote about in your last Cool Things. Um, this is a Texas or a Western style saddle, and uh, it's it's a big saddle. It's got wood stirrups and a metal horn. and And if you want to see a picture of it, you can actually go to our website and uh, take a look at it. Um, Nikayla, I'll start with uh, I'll start with the man who owned this saddle. It belonged to Augustine Belport, um, and he lived a rather amazing life as a cowboy, but not the uh, cheesy John Wayne style cowboy. Uh, Augustine Belport, uh, how did he end up in Kansas? Well, Augustine Belport, he was also he went by Gus. Um, he was born in Ohio in 1845. Um, his parents were immigrants from France, and his dad was a blacksmith. Um, and um, Belport picked up that trade as a child, and he also worked as a storekeeper and a wheelwright. And um, he did that until 1866, when a friend in Ohio asked him to join him and a couple other friends to go to Montana and look for gold. And Belport couldn't pass up the opportunity to go west. Or, you know, the the draw of adventure was just too great. So he said yes. He left Ohio, and they jumped on a train headed west. How old would he have been at this time? <laughs> he would have been about 20. Okay, young guy. Young man, yeah. Young guy, heading out, little adventure. Yeah, sounds like a good time. So they got on the train, and they rode it as far west as it would go, which was Leavenworth, Kansas. And when they got to Leavenworth, they realized that the cost to hire a mule train was going to be too much. So they thought, well, the best way to get west is to see if we can't get a job on some sort of a wagon train headed that way. And Fort Leavenworth was there, and they were headed out to Utah Utah's close to Montana, so they signed up to... Um, Utah's close to Montana. <laughs> yeah, so closer than Kansas is, anyway. So they signed up to um, drive mule trains um, with the Army. Headed so up. it was like early hitchhiking. Yeah, pretty much, yeah. Right. And they got paid for it, so it was paid hitchhiking. Okay. Yeah. So that's what brought him to Kansas, and then from there he went on. Right, and he always, I mean, obviously the West wasn't settled back then. Like, it, you know, there weren't a lot of job opportunities outside of working for the military 
or you know painting for gold if you if you could find it and make a living that way. So Leavenworth kind of became his center of operation. You know the the army any train he drove they they tended to return to Leavenworth for supplies. And he worked a variety of jobs, and a lot of them required him to ride in the saddle. What were some of the other jobs that Bellport later did? And uh, how much time do you think Gus spent total sitting in this saddle? I don't know how much time he actually spent in the saddle, but... It would have been pretty much all day, every day. And we're not talking necessarily an eight to five job, you know, maybe sun up, sun down or even longer. So he spent a majority of his life, you know, while he was working um, for the military and then for himself sitting in the saddle. And if he wasn't sitting in it, he may have been leaning on it or resting his head on it. So his life was pretty wrapped up in the saddle. Um, His first job was with the government government. running mule trains out of Leavenworth. Like I mentioned, that first trip took him to Utah. And he eventually made his way back to Leavenworth again. And he ran... um he ran similar mule trains from Leavenworth to the forts in western Kansas and then also from um, Ellsworth, Kansas, which is kind of in uh, central Kansas. Um, He would run supplies from the train depot there once the train got further west. He was stationed at Ellsworth, and he ran... um, supplies from Ellsworth when they came in on the train to Fort Harker, which is um, located not too far from Ellsworth. You can see you can see Ellsworth from the fort. So he would take supplies then to the soldiers at Fort Harker. Um, later on, he became, um, he took a job with the Powers Company out of Leavenworth. Um, and he, uh, they sent him to Fort Hayes for a while where he sold uh, beef to the soldiers at Fort Hayes and to the settlers in the area. What was the Powers Company? The Powers Company was another government contract company that supplied goods to the forts. So not only were they supplying beef, they were you know, supplying the soldiers with whatever they needed to live. And um, he just happened to get assigned to beef. And then later on, Powers bought a ranch near Ellsworth, and he... Um, herded cattle from Texas to Ellsworth for the Powers Company there. And then later on, he owned his own ranch. So a majority of his young life, until the you know late 1880s, 1890, was spent in a saddle. Hope it was comfortable. Yeah. <laughs> Somehow, I don't think it was like sitting in a lazy boy. <laughs> this saddle is considered a Texas-style saddle, uh, which makes sense because it came from San Antonio, Texas. Uh, what was Gus doing in Texas? Gus had a job as the ranch foreman for Powers. He bought um, the Powers Company purchased the Sherman Ranch near Ellsworth, and uh, Gus was the ranch foreman. So he was responsible for a group of men that went to Texas. They went to San Antonio. They would purchase the cattle and drive them to Ellsworth, where they were then um, usually fattened up a little bit, sold at market, and then put on a train and shipped to points east. Usually, um, they herded cattle over the Chisholm Trail, which is you know when you think of even Hollywood. Westerns. It's kind of the mythic cattle herding trail. You know, everybody knows the name of it. That was the role of a cowboy, was to basically drive cattle <laughs> up and down this trail, right? From Texas right. to to um, staging points along the railroad in Kansas. Right. And there were several lines, but the Chisholm Trail, or several trails that they ran on, but Chisholm Trail is probably the best known. Um, yeah, it's named for Jesse Chisholm, that's I, right. I think. And he sort of pioneered, like, He's the guy who came up with the idea, hey, bunch of Longhorns in Texas, mm-hmm. if I can just get them to the railroad up north, yeah. uh, 
I can make some money. So he blazed a trail. That's right. Which he died before he ever got a chance to see the Chisholm Trail actually go into, you know, full production, I guess you'd call it. But that's true because during the Civil War, they really didn't have access to getting the cattle east. And, um, you know, Texas had an abundant supply of cattle. There they were only selling for $4 a head. But if you could ship them back east, they were $40. But there were also no rail lines ending in Texas. So, you know, it became logical. Well, drive them where there are railheads, take them to Kansas. So mm-hmm. the Chisholm Trail ran from San Antonio to the Kansas Pacific Railhead, which was in Abilene. So Gus acquired the saddle on one of his trips when he was in San Antonio. He he purchased the saddle. And for any cowboy, the saddle was as much of him as, as anything was. Yeah, because horses may come and go, but you're going to hold on to That's your right. saddle. The saddle is a part of you, yeah. During his adventures, Bellport uh, was witness to some rather amazing events, uh, both good and bad. What were some of these events? Um, so he did witness a lot of things that are now considered to be historical events, like um, the Medicine Lodge Peace Treaty, for example, which was um, an agreement signed by five of the Plains tribes and the U.S. government in an attempt to try to calm things down a little bit. And Gus, his job was to take the supplies to the signing of the treaty that would be given to the Native Americans as part of the pact. So so he's kind of like an early Western UPS man. Yeah. He shows up. <laughs> there's this, a bunch of, you know, a bunch of Native Americans walking around, some federal, yeah. uh, you know, federal troops. Gus is like, oh, that's pretty interesting. <laughs> yeah. I'll drop this off and get back to Leavenworth. Yeah, and he did kind of make a hasty retreat because he took the stuff there. They gave it to the tribes. And according to Gus and his diary, he witnessed the Native Americans piling the supplies in a heap, lighting them on fire, and dancing around them. Oh. So whether that <laughs> happened whether that happened or not, um, he thought it was potentially dangerous there. <laughs> he did not stick around to see the actual signing of the treaty. Yeah. He no need for the UPS man to hang out around there. No, no. He had done his job. It was time to go home. And then he also, he yeah, it kind of seems like tragedy followed Gus. Um, well, at Fort Harker, which uh, he, was, again, was delivering supplies there, uh, there was a cholera epidemic that broke out shortly before he arrived, and so he was quarantined at the fort. He never um, he never caught the disease, never caught the illness, but he was kept there for you know pretty much the duration of that epidemic, so several months. And he knew some famous people, right? He did know famous people. Um, while he was at Leavenworth, uh, for a while he um, decided he was going to settle down a little bit, maybe open a livery and take care of you know horses. He was kind of an expert at it by this point. So one of the people that he kept horses for was Buffalo Bill Cody. Oh, wow. So, yeah. And then also while at Fort Hayes, he knew, um, he met General George Armstrong Custer, which was another story that appeared in his diary. He was out on the plains setting traps. And he saw some men approaching over the horizon, and they appeared to be dressed in native clothing. So he, you know, was a little nervous. And when they got closer, it was actually Custer and his men who were just a, a couple of his men who were disguised in Native American clothing, thinking if we're wearing the clothing, they, you know, we're not going to get attacked. Yeah, that sneaky Custer. <laughs> so um, Custer tucked Gus into taking up his traps, or ordered him to take up his traps because he had dogs, and he was afraid the dogs were going to get into the traps. And lo and behold, one of the dogs was going to have puppies, and he told Gus, come back after the puppies are born, and you can have two of the puppies. 
So Gus goes back about the time the puppy should have been born, and he tells one of the um, one of the men there that he talked to Custer. Custer was going to give him a couple dogs. The man goes in, talks to Custer, comes back and says, "Yeah, he doesn't know who you are." <laughs> so he didn't, oh. get, he didn't get any dogs from Custer, but he did. Custer's such a celebrity. Yeah, celebrity apparently, mentality. Apparently, just goes back on his word. He could have, you know, two nice dogs and. Um, I want to talk a little bit about the saddle's construction because I think like a saddle's construction can tell you a lot about what it was that Bellport was using it for. Mm-hmm. Um, what if I was Gus Bellport? What kind of features would I be looking for in this saddle? Well, like we talked about earlier, you're going to be spending a lot of time in the saddle, and you're going to be doing a job that was, despite the way Hollywood depicts it, fairly dangerous, just hurting the cattle. You know, you're going over rough terrain, you're crossing rivers, you're going to be chasing down strays, you know, you're going to be fighting off people who are coming in trying to steal, you know, some of your cattle. So you want a saddle that is going to provide you both comfort and security for long rides on the trail. If you look at the saddle, um, in the picture on our website, or if you come to the museum and see it on display in our main gallery, you'll see that it doesn't have a lot of decoration, especially decoration that is, you know, nothing loose or that sticks out or anything like that, because it is a working saddle. The horn on the Western saddle was used to help control the cattle. Cowboys could use it. Um, they'd tie a rope around the, or loop the rope around the horn, and then um, the, the, um, end of the rope would go around the cow's neck and then they could kind of control more, you know. Which is different than, because saddles break down into the Western style and then there's like the English style. style, Which doesn't have a horn at all. Right. So, and a lot of people mistake the horn as something that the cowboy hung on to while he rode and that's not what it was for at all. It was to help him control the cattle that he was trying to get to the railhead. Um, You'll also notice that the stirrups have a wider tread and they're also wood. They're pretty, they're pretty bulky in comparison Mm -hmm. to, um, you know, English saddles. English saddles, or, yeah. yeah. They have, like, a detachable stirrup on them. Yeah. Um, these stirrups, the wider tread was meant to minimize the risk that the rider's foot would slip out um, if he fell. And then um, if he did fall, he there was a less likely chance that he would be dragged around. So it was more of a safety issue. And we hypothesized that the wood construction may have also protected their feet while they were riding amongst the cattle. So if you got banged into, you know, your foot had a little kind of a... Uh, sort of a shell, shell around it. Yeah, that if a cattle, if you know you got a hard hit, it wouldn't break your foot or something. And also, the seat is a lot wider than we normally associate with the saddle, so that would provide a little more comfort on the trail. The seat has like it's got like a seat that actually comes up a little bit in the back, mm-hmm. and that's supposed to um, you know provide security. Like you're not going to slide out of the saddle that way. Mm-hmm. That way, you can manipulate your horse better. Yeah. Um, whereas some, so so you'll be using that using that to like cut herds, right, to, to mm-hmm. weed out certain cattle. And um, so other functions of a cowboy might be for roping um, calves, which you would have to jump off the mm-hmm. saddle. So someone who ropes a lot of calves, their saddle is going to be a little bit different. Right. Because they're jumping on and off, so it's not going to have that high back to it. Yeah. So I also read that there's a difference between the Texas style and the Western saddles. They're divided into the Texas and the California styles, and the 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 saddles that were used on the open plains, you had to be able to th- you throw a rope a farther distance because there's no terrain to hem in a cow, right? Mm-hmm. So you had to, you couldn't have a lot of things sticking up. Nothing could stick up very high. Your horn, you know, it had to be fairly low because you had to be able to throw that rope a long distance without, you know, 
getting being obstructed. So mm-hmm. it's a little different that way. It was kind of interesting how saddles developed based on the terrain and how the cowboy was using them. And it is a fairly large, bulky saddle. It's not meant for speed. It's very utilitarian. It's meant for a long distance, long, like sort of comfortable riding, right. which is interesting because um, the story, this Bellport story. I mean, he you know he claims to know Buffalo Bill Cody. He claims mm-hmm. to know Custer. He claims to have been to all these places and done all this stuff. Right. And to a certain degree, you have to question it a little bit. You know, is yeah. he just making this up? But you know, the saddle itself sort of um, corroborates a lot of what he says he did. The type of work that he said he did. Bellport found financial success <laughs> later in life. He actually he did pretty well for him. Uh, which is interesting because that ended up taking him to a veritable paradise <laughs> on the plains, a place called La Crosse, Kansas. Yes. Nikayla, what interesting <laughs> fact did you learn about Mr. Bellport's residence in La Crosse? Well, Bellport did indeed end up in La Crosse. He gave up the ranching life. You know, he, he had a ranch near Rush Center, which was uh, it's a smaller town south of La Crosse. And these are located in central Kansas. Central Kansas, that's right, Rush County. Um So he gave up the ranch when the cattle boom ended, and the county seat moved from Rush Center to La Crosse. And he realized the financial opportunities would be better. So he moved to La Crosse. He became a businessman. He opened a butcher shop. So in the process of doing the research, I found out that his house, we would have been neighbors. If Gus Bellport was alive when I was growing up in high school. Because you're from La Crosse. I'm from La Crosse. We would have been neighbors. His house was literally right across the street from where my mom's house is right now. His house was on the property where I graduated from high school. (laughs) And I was reading that. I'm like, you know, at first when I saw the saddle and it was an option for cool things, I was like, well, yeah, that's all right. Saddles, the old west, it's kind of been done. That's not really my thing. And then I saw he was from lacrosse, and I was like, ugh, well, I got to do it now. And then I'm doing the research and kind of find out we were practically neighbors. It's insane. It's so cool. Do you think his house was torn down to build your school? I think it was, yeah. I don't know. That's kind of a line of intersection I was not expecting. But, yeah, we would have been neighbors of his house. If he had survived until 1996, he would have been. He would have lived across the street from yeah. me. He would have been pretty old, too. But yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, Nikayla, well, thanks for telling us about Mr. Belport's saddle. You're welcome. It's time for another round of Six Degrees of William Allen White, Election 2008. Uh, joining me this week is Bob Kekeisen, the museum director. Oh, hi, Merle. Hi, Bob. <laughs> uh, and Nikayla Zimmerman, assistant registrar. Hello. This week, we are attempting to connect William Allen White to Rudolph William Lewis Rudy Giuliani, two-term, two-term mayor of New York City and current Republican presidential candidate. But first... Bob, can you tell us a little bit about William Allen White so people who are just joining in uh, know who he is? And can you tell us why he is sort of the uh, Kevin Bacon of presidential <laughs> candidates? Well, William Allen White's a very noted Kansan and as longtime editor of the Emporia Gazette newspaper, uh, he traveled in some pretty rarefied circles and he was the friend of a number of presidents. So he's always been in kind of the presidential uh, circle anyway. Um, 
Theodore Roosevelt came to Emporia to visit him. He was a, uh, White was an advisor to a number of presidents. They sought out his opinion on kind of what the average person in middle America might think. And he was a very well-respected Kansan, uh, lived until 1944. So he, uh, his career spanned a number of decades. He was very active in Kansas politics, in fact, ran for governor in 1924, almost exclusively on an anti-Ku Klux Klan. Uh, platform trying to get the Klan out of Kansas. So he's a very he did, didn't he? Uh, yes, he did. He was successful <laughs> at that. They didn't get their charter renewed, uh, and essentially, White is credited by a lot of historians with uh, uh, bringing about the end of the Klan in Kansas. So he's a very well respected Kansan, um, and since he's been so involved in uh, politics, we figured it's a great way to play six degrees of William Allen White with our presidential candidates. And he basically did all this from Emporia, right? He, yeah, he really didn't travel that much. I mean, he, he did some world traveling, but not really in the political realm. But he really was pretty much a, a homebody and worked uh, from Emporia and met a lot of people on the porch of his home in Emporia, which is a state historic site, and you can go visit. That's our little plug there. There you go. There you go. Well, this week, um, we had a solution provided to us. Oh, cool. Um, and, Nikayla, I believe you're going to read that. You're going to read the connection between William Allen White and uh, Mr. Ruder, or Mayor Rudy Giuliani. That's right. Patrick from New York wrote, I think I found a link from Rudy G. to WAW. Here it goes. Rudy worked in the Ford administration as Associate Deputy Attorney General. General Ford's running mate in the 1976 presidential election was none other than Robert Bob Dole. Hmm. Hmm. When Dole first ran for the United States Senate, a fundraiser was given to him by, drumroll, William Lindsay White, son of William Allen White. Wow. That's four degrees. Rudy to Ford to Dole to William Lindsay to William Allen. Patrick Wieson, the director of the Holland Land Office Museum in Western New York, provided that solution. And we're impressed because it shows that he's actually been listening to right, previous because the podcasts. Last, the last connection, right, where he talks about the fundraiser given to him uh, by William Lindsay White. That's right. I believe that was the phrase you used. That's true. In a previous podcast. That's wow. true. Go Patrick. Yeah, right. Thanks for listening. Nice. <laughs> All right, Bob, where does that put uh, Rudy in the William Allen White scale of electability? Well, it puts him pretty solidly in the middle with a lot of other folks. Uh, Bill Richardson still leads the pack with uh, just three degrees of separation from right. William Allen White. Uh, Rudy Giuliani now has four, which puts him in a tie with uh, Hillary Clinton, John McCain, uh, Joe Biden, number of others. So yeah. he's kind of just right there in the middle. Patrick, uh, he also wanted to know something else. Uh, Patrick wrote, has anybody ever asked how many degrees of separation are between you and William Allen White? It might be fun to figure <laughs> out which of your listeners can get to William Allen White in the least moves. I thought it was a pretty interesting concept. So I thought the three of us here would uh, see how many degrees of separation are between us and William Alloway. And I'll start. That way okay. nobody can steal mine. Okay. <laughs> when I was in college, I worked at an art museum at, uh, at Kansas State University. And uh, William Allen White's great-granddaughter also works there. So I worked with her every day. So I figured that's like four degrees of connection. So that's my connection. Nikayla, what, uh, you got one? Well, I have to connect myself to him through a city. Um, my mom was born in El Dorado, Kansas, oh. which was also the boyhood home of William Allen White. He was born in Emporia, grew up in El Dorado. Nicely done. Yeah, Bob. pretty weak. <laughs> a, little bit, a little bit. A little lame, but yeah, we'll, yeah. we'll let you go. I don't know okay. anybody famous. Okay, well, uh, I'm going to go through the entertainment industry. All right. And uh, in 1990... 
the actor Ed Asner, came to Topeka <laughs> oh to donate the desk that he used on the Mary Tyler Moore show. And for those of you that don't know, Ed Asner is originally from Kansas. So he was here in, in Topeka in 1990 to donate the desk that he used in Lou Grant's office on the Mary Tyler Moore show. So I got to meet Mr. A Mr. Asner, show him around the museum, very delightful, charming man. In 1981, Ed Asner was in a movie called Fort Apache, the Bronx. And, oh, that was a good movie. Yeah. Classic. Paul Newman, 1981. <laughs> and in that, there was a young woman by the name of Kathleen Beller. And some of our listeners may know Kathleen Beller from the TV series Dynasty. But in 1977... What was she on Dynasty? I don't know. I never watched it. <laughs> <laughs> Not that I do. <laughs> anyway, so uh, Dynasty fans, you can call in and tell Merle. Uh, but uh, anyway, Kathleen Beller, uh, at the age of 21, starred in a TV movie called Mary White, based uh, on the life uh, of William Allen White's daughter, screenplay based on the book, Mary White by nice. William Allen White. Nice. So that's me so you, to Ed Asner to Kathleen Beller to William Allen White. So, so you took the old Ed Asner dynasty route. Yeah. yeah. Hey, Ed Asner's worked with everybody. So. <laughs> Completely unexpected. <laughs> that is nice. All right. So if you are uh, our listeners out there, if you think that you can do better than El Dorado or the Ed Asner to Dynasty Connection, just let us know and send an email to podcasts at kshs.org. Um, Nikayla, would you please issue the next challenge uh, for uh, William Allen White election 2008? I'd be glad to. The next challenge is to connect William Allen White to Congressman Dennis Kucinich, the former boy mayor of Cleveland and current Democratic presidential candidate. So if you know how to connect the boy mayor of Cleveland to William Allen White, um, or if you think you have a pretty impressive connection yourself to William Allen White, just let us know, and you can send that email to podcast.kshs.org. That is podcast with an S. That's it for episode 45, Saddle Up. Come back in two weeks when Nikayla Zimmerman and I traveled to Camp Bunston, Kansas. In 1918, this backwater army post stood at ground zero for a violent global pandemic. We'll tell you about humanity's last countermeasure, a small cardboard quarantine sign. This podcast is a production of the Kansas Historical Society. Real people, real stories. Oh,